All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. So let's just jump straight into the news. There's not much news, but there is some. So recently it was announced that the Nuggets are going to extend Aaron Gordon for four years. It's a $92 million extension. So judging what we saw from Aaron Gordon last year on the Nuggets in the regular season and the postseason, do you think this is a good deal or do you think that the Nuggets overpaid? I definitely think this is a little bit of an overpay considering you lost this position in Jeremy Grant and you try to replace that with Aaron Gordon. He, yes, is a good player, but I think at the same time you're losing a lot when you lose Jeremy Grant just as a player compared to what you're getting out of the production of uh, Aaron Gordon on this team. And you're basically paying him the same money that the Pistons are paying Jeremy Grant now. So I really think that this is a kind of a lose situation for them. But if you don't consider the Jeremy Grant, you know, history, I'd say it's like nothing special. And yes, I do think it's a bit of an overpay considering the position you're giving him. And down the line, if you decide that this team isn't working out, maybe Jamal Murray isn't back to where he needs to be after he tears his ACL. And you're looking at like exploring your options with getting a new team for Nikola Jokic. This might be a big contract issue when trying to find trades. Yeah, I definitely see that as a possibility, but I think that the Nuggets may be seeing Jamal Murray coming back to himself next season and Aaron Gordon being an integral part of this team. They see this core of Aaron Gordon, Jokic, and Jamal Murray as maybe being a championship contender, whether that's a little too um, little too ambitious, a little too eager. We'll have to wait and see. But, I mean, just basing it, just based off of what we saw from Aaron Gordon last season, he was pretty good for them in the regular season, but then come the postseason, he turned to an absolute liability, wasn't playing good on defense, was pretty terrible on offense, not putting up the production we expect from him, and really wasn't filling that gap left by Jeremy Grant. So I think that it might have just been an offseason for him. You know, he was just trying to accustom to the – to the system and just get used to playing in a new environment and maybe you just had an off postseason but as of right now i think there's a slight overpay but i think it was maybe a necessary overpay because i don't know if you're going to get much better at that position for a lower price yeah well would you agree that it's just a loss for for what they were going to get from jeremy grant for about the same price Definitely for the same price. Like, if you're asking me who would you rather have for the same money, Aaron Gordon or Jeremy Grant, I'm taking Jeremy Grant all day. He's better in all aspects. But I think that Jeremy Grant was not satisfied being the third wheel on this team, and I think he wanted more money. And at the time, the Nuggets couldn't pay him that money. So it is a lose-lose situation because the Nuggets would be better with Jeremy Grant. But, I mean, that's just how the chips the chips fell. So – they just got to make the most of the situation now. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, I just really feel like they, they're missing out a little bit. And with that same money, if they wanted to maybe explore their options in the offseason to get a, a third a legitimate star, I could see that. But at the same time, I think this is definitely a safer option for them, um, which will definitely keep them in contention. I don't know about being a big three that will be uh, in championship contention but they're absolutely in contention to be one of the uh western conference leaders and they'll make it far in the postseason every year i mean definitely like 
the NBA is just full of big threes now. You know, you have KD, Kyrie, Harden, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, and now Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and Aaron Gordon. So, you know, a lot of huge names dominating the league. Uh, <laughs> so really is the era of the big three. Uh, but no, seriously, I think this is a fine move. Like, I'm very lukewarm to this. I don't really have any strong opinions. But if I were to give an opinion, it would be in the same vein as you, just saying it's a slight overpay. Yeah, all right. Well, I think we should move on to the next sort of, not big deal, but just deal that's going on right now in the league. Uh, not necessarily old news, but it's definitely not new news, which is uh, Marcus Gasol was traded to the Grizzlies for, or, or sorry, Marcus Gasol and a 2024 second round pick were traded to the Grizzlies for the rights to Wang Jialin, which was their draft pick uh, from China. And it also is just freeing up cap space uh, for both teams because Marcus Gasol is no longer on the Grizzlies payroll because uh, he just waved and he's going back to Spain. Um, both the Lakers and uh, the Grizzlies open up cap space through this deal. So what do you think this means for each team? I mean, I think this is a win-win, honestly, because neither team is really giving up that much. I mean, the most the Lakers are giving up is that 2024 second round pick, but that's not really going to mean that much anyways. Um, and that what that did, does is that's opening up cap space for them. They get some flexibility, maybe not to make a move now, but come mid-season trade deadline, you need money to get a better player maybe some pieces aren't working out and now you have that flexibility and i think it's better to you know get rid of marcus all and to placate him and make him happy because you don't want an unhappy player on your roster and for the grizzlies like you said they're not giving that up that much i mean i've never seen wang jay lin play before but i don't know if he's really going to be a game changer for them and they're just going to get more cap space so honestly this is really a win-win. Sorry for the background noise. I'm going to mute now. Uh, it's totally okay. You know, we're living the college life now, so definitely in the dorms. It's going to be a bit more noisy than it would be back at our homes. So uh, we kind of just have to adjust to that. So, you know, it's possible that it'll happen to me sometimes, and it's just going to be a new norm on the pod. Um, so we apologize for any inconvenience, but it's just uh, college life, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, but I don't think there's much to really be said about this deal. It's not anything major for either team. But like you said, this does free up cap space for the Lakers, um, more so even than the Grizzlies. Um, kind of almost seems like the Grizzlies are doing a little bit of a favor for the Lakers. I think more so even than the Lakers, they're doing a favor for Marcus Gasol, somebody who is a part of their franchise, somebody who is who got them very far, somebody who is family to them. And I think more than anything, maybe Marcus Gasol, it was like, hey, I just, I want to be free um, and go back to my family in Spain, hang out with my brother, you know, that sort of stuff. And I think this was really just almost maybe a Grizzlies thank you to Pau. Like, that's that's honestly what it seemed like to me. Like, you know, some teams give a thank you to guys like Kobe by giving them massive amounts of money, farewell tours. But, you know, Marcus Gasol got his simple goodbye, like kind of like a Tim Duncan style goodbye. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And it is poetic that Marcus Gasol goes back to the Grizzlies, probably the last team he's ever going to play for, if he even plays for them, which it's looking like he's not going to. Um, it was already I, released that he's not going to play for them. Okay, so it is 
very he, fitting. he's going back to Spain. It's very confirmed. fitting then that the last team he was ever officially on was the Grizzlies, where he started his very great career. But I have to ask, have you ever seen Wang Jaelin play? I have not seen my, uh, Wang Jaelin play. Wow. But You're not I, a real Lakers fan. <laughs> I'm not a real <laughs> Lakers fan. My bad. I actually did not watch the uh, 20 hour long mixtape of Wang Jaelin in uh, the CBA. No, <laughs> but in, uh, he was looking it, like Will Chamberlain out there, man. The CBA. Uh, Why do you think we gave up so much to get him? In all seriousness, at most, this is going to be another asset the Lakers would use in the mid midseason to trade with a, a, a team that's mediocre or looking to rebuild. Um, as that's just going to be additional capital with that ten million dollars. I don't see Blaine Jalen getting any playing time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Actually, you know what? I revoke that statement. Wing Jalen will be getting the big minutes. He's going to be he's our gonna new be THT. He's, he's going to be starting. our new THT. He's going to come in during the second round of the playoffs, and he's going to make noise for us. Not even the second round. We're putting him in the finals, man. He's our secret <laughs> weapon. We'll, we'll be starting him, him over AD. <laughs> I mean, AD is going to get hurt, bro. This is our backup. This is our uh, AD replacement, actually. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Having AD, AD made in China. He's going to be even more fragile. <laughs> Definitely. <no. laughs> instead of just like straining every single muscle he's just gonna like tear all of them <laughs> okay but uh, oh, continuing anyways. with the nba news uh big news today actually broke that john wall and the houston rockets are going to be parting ways um this isn't crazy unexpected you know it makes sense they just aren't on the same timeline um but where do you see John Wall going, especially with such a horrendous contract? See, I don't think any team is really going to take him with this contract because he's such a liability. He's injury prone. He's not a great three-point shooter. He has defensive. He's not bad defensively, but, you know, he's not what he used to be because of all the injuries. Um, and so with the price tag, like we were talking about, the worst contract in the NBA, and John Wall was certainly up there. He's the so, third highest play, paid player in the NBA. And you're just not getting third best player production from him. Not even remotely close. You're getting like top 50 at best. At best. And I mean, he did have a good season last season. Uh, definitely a bounce back, um, bounce back in production after being injured for so long. But as of now, I don't see any team really taking him. So I think the, the Rockets and Wall are going to have to agree to a buyout. But until then... I see him staying on the Rockets until that happens. Yeah, I think, um, honestly, a possible solution. I don't think this is likely. Um, but if you see both the Rockets and the Sixers find no suitable locations for either Ben Simmons or John Wall, you might see something happen there as far as salary matchup. And I think the timelines actually fit a little better if you flip those roles, being Ben Simmons and in Houston. Uh, I think that timeline would kind of be interesting. Ben Simmons being somebody who can't shoot three-pointers at all on the team full of young guys whose style of play is very much three-pointers. Um, I feel like he'd play like the power forward on that team um, as opposed to uh, John Wall on the Rocket, or sorry, John Wall on the Sixers, I think would fit in well with the style of play that Joel Embiid has and Tobias Harris has. And not to say that that would happen because I think that would be an untrade unfair trade on the part of the Sixers. I think they need more than John Ball. 
but I think that the pieces are definitely there to make a trade happen. Yeah, that's an interesting proposition, and I've thought about that too. But then the way I see it from the Sixers' point of view, you're getting rid of, of a non-three-point shooting point guard for a guy who shoots the three but really badly. So I don't know if that's much of an upgrade, and you're losing a ton of defense by downgrading from Simmons to, to Wall. And so I don't know if that would really be the destination for him as a trade. Maybe if there's a buyout, I could see him moving there. But honestly, okay, do you think John Wall can still be a starter on a playoff slash contender? Or do you think he, he has to be relegated to a bench role? Is that's that something, a, is that a stupid question? That's something interesting that I haven't really even thought of, actually. But now that you mentioned it, I could very much see him playing a Derrick Rose-type role if he were able to accept that mentality. Uh, that's a great comparison, by the way. I, I, yeah, that's exactly what I thought of when he said that. It just made me think of Derrick Rose. Um, and I think if he would be able to accept that mentality, I'm not sure the type of person John Wall is personality-wise in the sense of like his ego on the court versus his playing time. But he doesn't seem to be somebody who's very cocky to me. So he very much seems like somebody who can embrace a veteran leadership role because I think he already did embrace that with this Rocket team, knowing, hey, we're not winners, but I'm here to help these guys out and just ball, have fun. Um, so if he were able to go to a team um, and be a sixth man and lead his team from a mentality standpoint but still give good production and be happy in that role, I think that would be a great fit for him. Yeah. Maybe definitely. maybe I know um, – like this money would never work out, but like as far as like a, a fit style for a team, I think Utah would be something great, like fit wise, like that style of team where it's like you have a mix of young guys and veterans um, and you're just like right there. You're just like, you need one more piece than one of those teams. Dang. John Wall would really fit coming off the bench for Mike Conley. I mm-hmm. mean, I the, honestly the, could see that. The thing but, is just I mean, money is a problem. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's never going to happen, but he'd be a great fit. You know, the thought of it is so funny to me paying $45 million for a six man. Like how funny would that be? You know, <laughs> Most money for a six man in history. Not even Jamal Crawford is worth that much, bro. Seriously though. So that's why I think that John Wall is staying put until the Rockets agree to a buyout. And he does too, because you know, no team is accepting that contract for, the John Wall we have now. Yeah, I think it's kind of like the Kevin Love situation, honestly. But the thing is, there was actually a report today, too, that Kevin Love and the Cavs do not want to buy out. So. Yeah, I, I know. Kevin Love, Kev, if, um, sorry, if John Wall decides he doesn't want to buy out, it's the same situation. It's like yeah. really bad contracts, Just trapped old, there, older players. It's kind of rough, man. For uh, uh, John Wall, he's old right and he's slightly washed up actually pretty washed up but i would say he's that old i think he's 32 i mean he's he's on the older side and he's washed up but he was a formerly great player i think of a team that could really use him i i could not (laughs) think of any teams that we could use the lakers man the lakers you know that's all our criteria yeah you know washed up you know, money-wise, <laughs> it would work out great if we traded LeBron for just John Wall <laughs> straight up. The money would work. <laughs> it's, I see that as a fair deal for both teams. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, 
<laughs> Moving uh, in to the more fun stuff, the pod. Yeah. I, I feel like that's, this has been a pretty fun one so far. Yeah, yeah the, 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 that's another um, Ralph and I were just going to get into a few things. But first, let's go over the top five three-point shooters of all time. And then I also want to hear your top five scorers of all time. So you said top five for shooters? Yeah, let's go top five for both, but let's just hear shooters first. Okay, so shooters, number one. Okay, clearly number one's Curry. No debate there. Two, I'm going to put Clay Thompson because I think that he may have the – he may be the player that gets hottest and is the most dangerous ever in NBA history. And he holds so many records. He just has the purest jump shot, like, mechanics-wise – I just think he's the second best. Then I have to go Ray Allen. He's done it for so long. Uh, such a great shooter. Hit so many big shots in the playoffs. Um, hit the biggest shot in NBA history. Um, then moving on, Reggie Miller. Again, amazing player. Excellent shooter. Only thing that's that's sort of holding it back is not having a ring. But you can't really fault him for that because he ran into Michael Jordan. And then after Michael, he ran into Kobe and Shaq. So, can't really fault him for that, but still, I think that does knock him down a little bit. And I do think Ray is better. And then finally, I have Larry Bird. We all know how good of a shooter Larry Bird was. So that's my top five. I yeah, think yours is going to be pretty similar. Yeah, mine's very similar. And I actually thought, um, like, almost identically to you, uh, except my number five is different. I did think Larry Bird initially, but then I felt like I was missing somebody. I was like, who am I missing? There's definitely somebody who's a great three point shooter who I'm just not thinking of. And then it hit me, Kyle Korver. We no forget way Kyle Korver is a better shooter than Larry Bird. Yes, we forget no. the efficiency. We should we forget the efficiency and the accuracy which Kyle Korver shot with. He had okay, such but... a great form. His role on the team was simply to shoot. That was his role, and he played that role to perfection. And I think that he. Yes, Larry Bird was dead eye. Like I'm not saying this. This was a, a, I had a thought process for this, but I just think Cal Corver, for one, has more three pointers all time. Yes, his career was longer. Yes, his that was his job more so than anything else. But he does have that over Larry Bird. You can't debate that. Uh, I'm not sure their percentages, but I'm pretty sure Cal Corver also has a higher percentage on the higher clip. So that tells you that Cal Corver definitely is up there. Um, I mean, like. Would you disagree that Cal Corver doesn't deserve to be top five? I do disagree because I think that when you look at shooting, so wait, are we are we saying shooters or simply three point shooters? This is three point shooting. Okay, just a quick question: If it was pure just, just shooter, take away the three point part. Oh, I'd put Larry Bird there. Yeah. You okay? Cal Corver doesn't make the cut if it's not about just three point shooting. This is just what he specialized in. Okay, fair enough. I just think that Larry Bird, you know, Kyle Korver, his shots are a better player is kicking it to him, and he's taking that wide-open catch-and-shoot three. Or he's standing in the corner, catching the ball, and shooting the three. He's not shooting off the dribble. He's not creating his own shot. He's not doing any of that. But Bird did that. You know, that was part of his game. And so I think you yeah, have to get Clay Thompson also a lot of the time doesn't create his own shot. That's a lot of what Clay Thompson does. Okay, but the thing is, first of all, Clay can create his own shot. I know that's not a big part of his he game. He doesn't. But, and, but second of all, he does the catch and shoot and the heating up, just 
10 threes in a row in a single game, just like nobody else. He's in an echelon of his own. So I think that just puts him in uh, an entirely different stratosphere. So, uh, oh, by I the think, way, I just like would like to say by yeah, career uh, field goal percentage from the three-point line, Cal Korver has 43% from the three-point line for his career, for his career. That's in his highest crazy. In his highest efficiency sh- season from the three-point line, he averaged 53%. That's nuts. That's 53. And then his second – you want to know how many threes he was taking per game? How many? Six. Six per game. not crazy, though. And then I, another season he averaged six attempts per game and shot 49% and then 47%, 45%. His career percentages from the three-point line are insane. And then you also have to look at Larry Bird, and his is 37.5%, which is, yes, incredible. That's not something to be not. But then you also look at the attempts, and it's the highest attempts he ever took in the season were three. Keep in mind, this is also in an era where the three-point game was very vastly different. But at the same time, I just have to give more credit to Cal Corver as a three-point shooter. Fair enough. And I think you, you made a good case for Kyle Korver. And, and I think I was thinking about it more so in terms of just shooting, which I would give to Bird. But three-point shooting, you might have a case there. So I'll ask you this, though. What do you think about a guy like Peja Stojakovic being above Korver? I could – I mean, just like as a, a pure shooter, I don't think Kyle Korver just makes this list – he doesn't make the cut. Like, I don't think he's close. Yeah. I but just – Pure three-point shooting, I think he makes a cut. If we're if we're looking at this list, I think my list looks pretty different, honestly, if we're looking at just all-time shooting. I think Allen Iverson would make my list, or James Harden. But what about uh, Peja Stojakovic? Because I I'd agree to, with you. I'd put Allen Iverson over Peja Stojakovic. <laughs> for three-point three shooting? Oh, for three-point shooting. Yeah, I'm talking about three-point shooting now, not um, just pure, just shooting. I don't think so. I think Peja Stojakovic's clip was a lot smaller. You think? Yeah, I'm not sure the exact stats, but it just that it doesn't seem right to me that Peja Stojakovic would have that clip. Fair enough. I mean, his career average for three-point attempts is like five and a half. Um, and Let I just I think it's it's definitely debatable. It's definitely debatable. I'll say that. Yeah, he averaged 40% from the field on uh, five and a half attempts per game on, over his career. So he, he did have a good clip. Um, it's, I think it's definitely debatable, and I don't think we would reach, like, a consensus here because we would just no. list this off This is nitpicking. Stats. Yeah. <laughs> but good to okay. know that our top fours are the same. Yeah, best now scores we, all time. I want to hear your scores. Okay, I'll start. Um, I had trouble determining my bottom bottom ones my four and my five was hard but i think this is a good list mj okay. number one all time kobe number two all time lebron number three all time uh, look i'll explain those three I, I think these those three are pretty self-explanatory you know mj is definitely the best scorer of all time he's the goat i don't think there's a conversation to really be had there about who's the best scorer of all time right yeah. Sim- simple mj could score the ball better than anyone now if, if, if we're talking about who was the closest to MJ in history, we're talking about Kobe being Bryant. You know, he's the closest person to ever be able to replicate what Michael Jordan did. And he just had that drive to be able to score either the mob of mentality. You know, he was so clutch. He would get you those buckets when you needed them to. Um, and then at number three, I have LeBron. 
you know, because he's a very different breed of scorer than MJ and Kobe. MJ and Kobe would beat you with their footwork and their mind a little more. And I think LeBron is going to beat you a little more with his physicality. He's going to get into the paint. He's going to wear you down. And at the same time, he can kick out to that open, he'll kick out to the open guy on the perimeter and trust his teammate to knock down that shot just as much as he trusts himself, which is something that Kobe and MJ didn't have. Um, I don't think that necessarily translates to their all-time scoring capability, but I definitely think it, it translates to their deadliness as a player because you have to worry about more things when you're playing against LeBron. So that's why I incorporate that. Um, then next I have KD. Nobody, JJ Reddick said it best on his podcast last week. There is nobody in the league less affected by defense than Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant will shoot over you. Doesn't matter, hand in your face, fading away and he'll swish it and walk away. That's the kind of guy he is. Your hand in his, your hand in his face does not bother him whatsoever. He doesn't need to see the basket to shoot the ball and make it. It's incredible. Yeah. That's my top four. And I don't think that's very controversial, but here I had trouble between Allen Iverson and James Harden. I had the same thing, dude, the same exact thing. Because both of them are deadly in different ways. And I ended up going with Allen Iverson. Um, I believe just Allen Iverson, he's so slippery. He's so quick. He had to have so much more skill than anybody else on the floor to be able to score the way he did be the all-time scoring leader at six feet tall. That is insane. Yes, James Harden is skilled, but he also plays in an era that allows him to draw fouls much more easily. And that's not to, that's not to say that, you know, that to discredit him, I think just his play style um, or the, the NBA play style allows James Harden to thrive much more easily than Allen Iverson's era did allow him to thrive. Definitely. So I put Allen Iverson there. Honestly, I'm I'm glad that our lists we had the same five players. So I'm really glad to hear that. I think my list is a little different, but after hearing your arguments, I honestly feel compelled to change. So what I had initially is Jordan one consensus. No need to argue that. Two, I had Durant just purely because what you were talking about how he's unstoppable as a scorer. Doesn't matter what you do, what defenses you throw at him who you put to guard him, he'll score the ball however he wants in whatever way he wants, wherever on the floor. And I think that ability to do that just puts him up there for me. But at three, I had Kobe, and I might would want to switch them if I could because I think you're right. Kobe, just his footwork, just how he's mastered every part of the game. You're talking fadeaway. You're talking post game, You're talking drives, shooting anything kobe was the master at um I mean, so uh, some, sorry something i just want to add about kobe is even more so than mj more so than anybody else who ever played the game nobody understood the weaknesses of the defense like kobe bryant he understood the exact weaknesses down to the fingers of the defenders he was playing against he talked about this he talked about how playing against kevin durant like when they, he, he matched up against him while he was on the Thunder and the Lakers were in the playoffs, he talked about how he knew that he could always turn right against Kevin Durant because that was his weaker side. And that if he pulled up in the exact, there was an exact, this one spot that Kevin Durant could never reach, that it, 
Kevin Durant and Kobe actually talked about later, and Kevin Durant fixed that hole in this game because Kobe showed him he had that hole that he didn't even know he had. Mm. So yeah. like, it's just a mentality that's far beyond basketball in the way that anybody thinks about it, aside from the, the GOATs. Like, nobody can think about the, the game this way. Yeah, and honestly, it's that mentality aspect that might put him over the edge for me and put him at two. But then I had LeBron at four, but maybe – I think he, I, would, I would keep him at four because as fair. a scorer, um, he just he, – he's not a scorer first, you know. I think he's more of a facilitator first. That's more natural in this game. But I think that you look at his accolades, you look at, what, 15 seasons of 25-plus points per game. Um, just – he only has one scoring title which sort of reveals to me that he is not a scorer, but he said multiple occasions, if he wanted to, he could win multiple scoring titles. And I believe it because as LeBron has grown older, his offensive game has developed to the point where he's actually a good three-point shooter now. You look at the beginning of his career, he's not much of a shooter at all. And all aspects of his offensive game have grown and improved. And as a scorer, he's definitely got to be up there. And then five oh, – had- Oh, sorry. I was just going to say about LeBron. Also, keep in mind, he only needs to average 18 points a game over the next two seasons to beat Kareem for all-time scoring. That's true, but that's assuming that he he plays every game. Yeah, that's assuming he plays every game. So, I mean, assuming he plays every game, he only needs to average 18 points over the next two seasons, which is very possible and I think likely for LeBron. He doesn't show signs of slowing at such a a high rate. Uh, You know what I mean? So, like, I I think – we're, we're, we're not really talking about potential here, but I think that also is another reason LeBron makes this list. Definitely. And then at five, I was also deciding between Iverson and Harden. And I think just the era that Harden is playing in, it is a lot more conducive to foul drawing and just jacking up threes. And I think Iverson was just so much more skilled of a score. He just had so much more to his game, being how short he was and how – just effective and lethal he was, you know? I don't think we've ever seen a run by Harden that's even comparable to what Iverson did with the Sixers in 2001, you know? So I think you got to put him there. And also, you know, Iverson, four scoring titles, Harden, three. So just purely based off the numbers, (laughs) I think you got to Alan Iverson is the best scorer per square inch. (laughs) I agree with that. And I think – I can't remember who said it, but – I think someone was saying that if Allen Iverson was 6'6", he would probably be better than Michael Jordan. And I mean, there's a lot of guys who can make arguments for like that, like just sorts of like what if arguments, like what if Shaq stayed healthy or had a good mentality? Like these are just questions that I think would really lead to a different type of NBA. That is true. I, I, I think it's just different in the case of Iverson because the only thing holding him back was – his height, which he couldn't control. You know, Shaq, he could have gone to shape anytime he wanted. It was just his mentality. But Iverson, it's biological. There's nothing you can do about being short, unfortunately. Rip Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> if Isaiah Thomas is 6'6", he would be the go-to. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, All right, actually, so- I want to look at something interesting. Um, I want to look at redrafts that Bleacher Report posted recently. Um, from the 2017 and 2016 drafts. And I think maybe in future pods, we'll go over these um, for the previous draft classes. But I think starting at 2017 is really where you can reflect and understand 
the draft picks from these classes. So um, just to give you examples, if you're not familiar with who is in, in these drafts, if you don't follow basketball that well, I mean, um, some guys who were in this draft who were notable are Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, Bam Adebayo, Lonzo Ball, like guys like that. Those are those are your primary um, guys who were in this draft class. Um, so th- th- these are the guys we're looking at. And these are the guys we think we can evaluate now looking back on them. We, they've been in the league long enough. Yeah. So I'm just going to give some initial thoughts. I don't want to give like a whole other list of my picks because it's honestly pretty similar to this, if I'm being honest. Um, first of all, I think that De'Aaron Fox is too low at number six. I think he should be top five. And honestly, I think he should be top four because I think he has a higher ceiling than John Collins and Lonzo Ball. I think that De'Aaron Fox, we're talking about a guy who's improved year after year. He's one of the best point guards in the NBA. He's a borderline all-star. Um, the only real fault on his game, you can say, is his defense. His shooting has gotten actually a lot better. And, I mean, just as a slasher, he's probably top five, top three best slashing point guards in the league. Not top five, top five. But this is a guy who I think has a has a potential to be a perennial all-star Um and if he was in the East, I think he would have already been an all-star just due to the nature of the conferences. Um, so that's what I say about De'Aaron. And then another point I have to say before you can jump in is I think that – I'm not sure about this, but I think Jonathan Isaac's a little too high in my opinion, just purely based off of his injury history. Uh, I think this is a guy who, you know, is a tremendous defender. Don't get me wrong. Not really much on offense, but just due to his injury history – I don't know if you're willing to take him at number nine over more proven guys who can be there more for the long term. Um, just, I think it's much more of a liability. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, funny enough with the De'Aaron Fox one, I also put De'Aaron Fox number four. Because I agree that he definitely has higher upside than Lonzo Ball and John Collins, uh, especially if you're running an offense. De'Aaron Fox is a guy. Um, who was really a, a steal in this draft at number eight. Uh, and I remember always looking back at this draft class and remembering that I, I just remember this draft specifically because as a Laker fan, all the hype around Lonzo Ball, that was really something that I, I paid attention to this draft. So especially Darren Fox, I remember, um, I believe it was Kenny the Jet Smith said, Darren Fox is a guy we'll look out for at this some somebody the Lakers might want to take as a sneak pick over Lonzo Ball. And I had no clue who he was at the time. I was more of a casual NBA fan. But I was like, huh, they're, they're really talking about some guy, De'Aaron Fox over this Lonzo, who's really hyped. He's from UCLA, LA kid. Like, everybody loves him. Why are we even having this conversation? And now it's shown to be very true that De'Aaron Fox is an incredible player. Uh, so I just also think he should be up there. Um, another pick I had aside from the Jonathan Isaac one, this kind of matches with that. Um, but I have Laurie Markinen at number eight. I put Laurie Markinen from number 11 where he's at right now. I kick him up to number eight. Do you think, you I think, think Laurie Markinen is better than OG Ananobi? Yeah, I think he has more potential, and I'll explain why. Yes, he's been declining weirdly since his sophomore season in the NBA, but he has definitely has more potential to be great than the other guys on this list. I mean, 
don't forget he he still averaged 14 5 and 5 last season which is better than Audrey Nanobi's 15 and 2 um I'll take 14 5 and 5 over 15 and 2 any day um you're forgetting that OJ Nanobi is a top defender in the NBA Larry Markkinen also averaged 19 points in his sophomore season. I think Larry Markkinen can be a 20, 20 and 8, 29 kind of guy um, for a long time in his career. Um, and also, I think being a unicorn in the NBA, he's very tall. I believe he's 6'10, six, six, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. So he's, yeah, he, no, he's not even six. He's seven feet. Larry Markkinen, seven feet and can shoot the three at a very lethal rate which was really rare in the NBA. He's one of the NBA unicorns who doesn't get injured. Unicorns who don't get injured are rare. The only one in the NBA that I can think of off the top of my head is Jokic, and he was the MVP last season. But I have to say, you're being a really good salesman this this episode because you're bi- I'm buying a lot of your arguments, but I have to disagree. I have to disagree. I think Laurie Markkinen has – I think he's one of those guys that peaked early and has really been declining. Maybe it's the system that he's in. And system I know he's in wasn't conducive to the player he was. It was very centered on right. Zach Levine. But we'll have to see. White. We'll have to see how he does in Chicago, in uh, Cleveland. Sorry, because I know he got moved. Um, but I, I just don't see him being better than OG Ananobi, who's a guy who is proven to be a tremendous two-way player. He's hit big shots in the playoffs, and he's a guy you can rely upon. And I don't know if you should take Laurie Markkinen that high just based off of, okay, he might be great, you okay. know? Well, I'd he's like to just, signs of going down. Just picture this in your head. Kristaps Porzingis isn't on the Dallas Mavericks, but you know who's there instead? Laurie Markkinen. How wonderful would Laurie Markkinen be on the Dallas Mavericks? I think he'd be incredible. I think he'd be what we expected KP to be, and I think he'd be making the KP money. I just think the system, he, he has to be in a system that allows a big man to stay on the outside and the power forward needs to be the person who's get banging dirty in the paint. Um, he can still take some contact, but that's rare for a unicorn. Yes, but guess what? I think the Mavericks would be worse, actually, because I think that Christoph Sprzingis, yeah, he's been sort of, not what we hope for. Not um, not shooting Dallas. layups over Rajon Rondo. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's putting it lightly. But I think he's still pretty good defensively. Um, and Laurie Markkinen is worse defensively. Laurie Markkinen is a bad defender, in my opinion. I don't think he's good. Yeah, that, that's um, we can agree on that. And so I think that I would just take the more proven OG Ananobi. I think OG Ananobi, his ceiling is lower than Laurie Markkinen's. But I think it's more proven and in this draft i would i would probably value the sort of surety you get over the risk of lower marketing okay that's fair i think I have, we should do... I have a thing to say okay go ahead i think that you should take out one person in this 11 to 14 range maybe you're taking out luke canard maybe you're taking out kuzma and i think you should put in dylan brooks hmm. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would agree with that. He's not somebody I thought of, but Dylan Brooks is definitely a solid role player, whereas some of these other guys definitely have been proven to not, not be solid role players like Kyle Kuzma. <clears throat> and he's so young, and he's already become one of the best defensive guards in the NBA. 
and he's only growing as an offensive player. And I think he he has a similar ceiling to OG, where he can be like a a premier two way player in this league. Maybe not an all star, but just a very very solid starter. I would agree with that statement. And from there, I think we should actually move on to the next draft class. Um, this is a really stacked draft class. I did not realize how incredible this draft class was until I looked at this list right now and went, wow, this is really incredible. This, the difference between 2017 and 2016 is insane. And, you know, some years it's just like that. Uh, we're looking at a list with probably like 10 all-stars and potential all-stars and all-star caliber players. Um, so I think this is exciting. Um, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. And I think this is a list where we can actually mention pretty much everybody. Yeah. So I think, uh, first of all, I think that Karis Levert's too low. I think that putting him at 13 is honestly doing a, a great disservice, especially when you have guys like Ivica Zubats and Jakob Pertl above him. <laughs> like I, I think I, I genuinely don't understand what Bleach Report was thinking, putting Jakob Pertl at ten above guys like Dejounte Murray and Karis Levert. Um, and but like moving on to like the top five, I, I would agree with the Simmons Murray Brown, but then I would put Ingram up and Siakam above Sabonis because I think wow, that, you hate Demontis Sabonis. I don't so hate much. Sabonis. <laughs> you hate him. I just think he's very overrated. That's all. I think that. He's really Let's see just, the spin cycle. You're calling the washing machine better than the guy who DeMontis was scoring Sabonis? big buckets in the NBA finals. Meanwhile, DeMontis Sabonis has never gone out of the first round. Yeah. That's the guy I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Maybe he definitely, I'd put, if you put Kyle Lowry um, and let's not forget Kawhi Leonard. Have you heard that name before? Um, yeah. Are we forgetting it's, about him at all? Siakam like, was the third option on a championship team and has been a multiple-time all-star. DeMontis Sabonis, he's an all-star because he puts up good numbers on a bad team. He's overrated. He doesn't have much of a defensive game. His offensive game is greatly overrated. I just am not big on Sabonis. Greatly and I think overrated. That, there, are, there haven't been centers in history doing what he's doing. Putting up the number, there, there have been centers, but it's historic what he's doing. You realize the number he's putting up, he's he's averaging like over 20, 10, and five. That's incredible. He's uh, a very incredible offensive center. You've done a lot of convincing today, he, but you'll he's like, not, you he, won't convince me that Savonis <laughs> is a historic player, dude. He's, he's not. I'm not saying that he's historically talented. I'm saying Hunter's the numbers top he's putting up are the historic top three centers all time Shaq, Hakeem. DeMontis Sabonis. Hey, let's be real here. I'll, let's put Arvidas above DeMontis, okay? <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. No bias. Okay, no bias. but um, I had a little bit of adjustments in the top of my list. So I had Simmons, Brown, Murray. Um, they Why have, do you put Brown above Murray? I'm curious. Uh, I think Jalen Brown is a better two-way player. We're talking, you know... I think Jamal Murray is definitely a little more proven as far as his, his playoffs runs have gone. Um, even like um, regardless of injury history, um, I think Jalen Brown is built better to be a better player in the sense that his everything from his body to the, like his style of play is more conducive to a like just a higher level all-star and athlete 
I think Jamal Murray's incredible, but I, I think that Jalen Brown has like just like a bigger build and a more like imposing build uh, than Jamal Murray does. And I think the way they use their play styles allowed Jalen Brown to thrive more within that. But I mean, I'm going to point you to Murray's playoff history and his record in the playoffs. Oh, I, I believe his. And just how phenomenal it's he's in, been. In it's, impo- it's incredible. It's really incredible. But we really haven't seen Jalen Brown in the playoffs that much. We saw him with like when Kyrie was there and Kyrie was out and Jason Tatum went off. Um, but we're not looking at Jason Tatum here. And Jalen Brown kind of took that secondary role. Um, but we might see Jalen Brown become that secondary role sorry before he was that tertiary role he wasn't even the secondary role so as he becomes more of a secondary even primary role sometimes um i think we'll see him just blossom uh, uh i don't think that one's like a big one though i think it's pretty close i'm not saying yeah, there's no, a big definitely. difference between the two um yeah for me i'd go either way as well i'd agree with you that brandon ingram is definitely above demonta sabonis for me here um i put brandon ingram at four because i think he's a more skilled player i think he's the closest thing to Kevin Durant in our league because there's nothing like Kevin Durant. He's a very unique player. Um, mm-hmm. But if I had to say there's another player who's copying him, I'd give it to B.I. because he just You want to know the- how special – sorry to interrupt, but you want to know how special Kevin Durant is? We say Brandon Ingram, and rightly so, is the closest thing to Kevin Durant that there is. But the amount <laughs> – The gap. That Kevin Durant is better than Brandon Ingram is astounding. There is such a crazy gap that – it just makes Kevin Durant look like he's from another planet. Like well, the thing is, because I think Kevin Durant's to to be like Kevin Durant. First of all, you have to have his body type, um, which how many people are seven feet tall with uh, wingspans that are seven six um, and have the abilities to play like a guard? Like yeah. that, that we're talking about three guys in the world. And then that one guy that isn't Brendan Ingram and Kevin Durant, uh, he's injury prone and he is like both of his Achilles are like done and he can't play basketball. Like that's who we're talking about. We're talking about a list of three guys in the world. Um, But anyway, moving on, uh, I have DeMontis Sabonis next. Obviously you can't be convinced that he's better than Pascal Siakam. I'll let it slide. Next, I think I have something. That might be a little controversial here. Oh, God. I put Malcolm Brogdon at six. Bro, what are you doing? Dude, you have Malcolm Brogdon above Siakam? Yes. Above yes. Mal- Malcolm Brogdon is the difference maker in a team becoming, like, he's the difference maker in the team. Like, when it comes to, like, if you're looking at a team that already has, like, that one all-star, two all-stars kind of team. like Right. If, like the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right when he leaves, they start winning. Is that a coincidence? Maybe. Yes, I do believe so. Um, But at the same time, I think, let's say, there were talks of, like, Malcolm Brogdon being a Laker over, like, when Russell Westbrook talks, like, the Indiana Pacers-Lakers trade rumors, like, when everybody was talking about that stuff. I honestly think Malcolm Brogdon was just as viable a player as, as Russell Westbrook was to become a Laker and give them a championship. Yes, they're very different players. Yes, Russell Westbrook's obviously better than Malcolm Brogdon, but I think he was just as viable because I think he's a winning player in the sense that his game is very well-rounded. Um, I think these other guys definitely have a lot more to work on in their game. If we're talking about potential, I think some of these other guys definitely beat him out, but his game has been so 
polished and developed. And I think he's a very smart basketball player. And he's definitely one of the premier guards in the NBA that we don't talk about. I think he can be up there in that Drew Holiday status. Like not, he's not as good as Drew Holiday, but I think he has that status as far as like the type of player, like the borderline all-star guard that people don't talk about. Fair enough. I mean, I don't know. I, I just see Fred Van Vliet and Siakam as guys who have done better at a higher level and in more impactful situations. Well, because I you're, okay, you haven't had a Kawhi Leonard play with Malcolm Bryant. Okay, but, but Fred Van Vliet, regardless of what Kawhi was doing, Fred Van Vliet earned a finals MVP vote. You know, how many guys can you say that? Yeah, no, I agree that with you that Fred Van Vliet is an incredible player. I just think the holes in his game, like, just little bring him down a little more. Like, defensively, he's a liability. He's not um, a liability. In the finals, he was locking down Steph Curry. He's he just doesn't have the size to guard like pretty much almost anyone. Yeah, but um, Ma- Malcolm Brogdon is not that much bigger. Malcolm Brogdon's like six four, six five. I'm pretty Wait, sure. Let me look at that. Okay. Okay. To be fair, okay, I was wrong. Malcolm Brogdon. How tall is Malcolm Brogdon? It's like six, six seven. Five, six, six five. five. Okay, he's six but five. The thing I is, he is that. Big. He's still not that good defensively. He has the capability, but he's not that good defensively. I think he's absolutely above average defender in the NBA, and Fred VanVleet is a far below average defender in the NBA. Um, we also have to look at Pascal Siakam. I put him uh, right below Malcolm Brogdon. And, yes, I do think he is a player who is uh, – you know, he, he's he won the most improved player, but you have to give him credit he – it's an all, all-star, um, but I'm not a big fan of the washing machine. Like, I, I'm kind of low on Pascal Siakam. Uh, I think Fair that enough. people figured him out. His his play style is repetitive, um, and he can't be the number one on the team. That was made very clear last year. Um, That's true, but you're saying Malcolm Brogdon can be number one on the team? No, I'm not saying Malcolm Brogdon can be number one on the team, but I can say that Malcolm Brogdon isn't going to go to the post and then try to spin move eight times every time he gets the ball. Hey man, Malcolm, he's more Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon is a more skilled player than Pascal Siakam is, and I can say that confidently. Sure, but I don't know if he's a better player. Well, we'll have that debate another time. And then right below Siakam, I put Karis, or sorry, right below Fred Family, I put Karis Levert, and I don't think there's okay. a problem. I did that. Wait, I put Buddy Heald above Karis Levert. Okay, I put Buddy Heald Actually, lower. I put, I put, I put Karis Levert yeah. above. I just think all the, all the BS going around with Buddy Heald and the Kings and his production falling off last season. Um, all these things just made me kind of like not a big fan of Buddy Heald. So I put him a little lower. And yeah, I think he's a little overrated. Uh, I think Karis Levert's very underrated. And I mean, I sort of forgot, but Karis Levert's on Indiana with your boy Malcolm Brogdon. So we'll have to see how that dynamic du- duo does next season when they get fully healthy. Dynamic duo? What are you talking about? We're talking about a big three with TJ Warren. Actually, you know, a big four. Big we have DeMontis Sabonis. Oh, my goodness. And Miles <laughs> Turner, big five, big five. We have a big five. I don't, I don't think we've big... ever heard a big five before. <laughs> <laughs> the New York Knicks, big 15. Yeah. But um, after Buddy and Karras, I put DeJounte Murray. Disagree? Agree? Um, after Buddy and Karras, I actually didn't but make a list there. But uh, – 
yeah, Karis Liver. Let, let me let me put my four then, since you didn't make uh, a list past then. So I put mm-hmm. Dejounte Murray, Malik Beasley, Alex Caruso, and then Jakob Pertl. I think that's fair. I think that I'd put Zubats above Jakob Pertl. Honestly, I think that Zubats plays his role well. Um, and yes, he can be played off the floor sometimes, but I think he's a great starting center, just like a great starting center. That. But I think Pertl has he's a better defender certainly than Zubats. Um, he has way more potential. And I think that, you know, you just said it yourself. Zubats gets played off the floor. Jakob Pertl does not get played off the floor. He's sort of the cornerstone sometimes of that Spurs defense. And so I think for that reason, I put him above. But to be honest, it's the last pick of the lottery, and it's between Jakob Pertl and Evita Zubats. So I really don't care that much. <laughs> so – I don't really feel like arguing. I think we need to. I think we need to talk about the nuances between Ivica Zubats and Jakob Pertl <laughs> for thirty minutes on our podcast next week. Um. Yeah. I mean, stay tuned for that episode because <laughs> it's gonna be just an absolute thriller. I'm telling you, our podcast is so exciting when we get in depth about Ivica Zubats's <laughs> post hook. We we get we give the people what they need, what they want. You know. No, we give them what they want, what they need, and then what they want. That's, that's the... what need. <laughs> we need a breakdown of Jakob Pertl's rim protection versus Evita Zubats's uh, not rim protection. <laughs> <laughs> what percentage of shots that were within five feet of the basket were contested by Evita Zubats compared to Jakob Pertl? I'm so looking forward to this. <laughs> All right. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Definitely. Um, this is a fun episode. Yeah. And uh, I think as we as we continue in the offseason, because there's really not that much news to talk about, we'll do these redrafts. We'll do fun topics. So be sure to stick around for that. Um, but, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you all next week. And, uh, yeah, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.